I made a big mistake this week, a grave error in judgment. I may never quite recover. I went shopping on Wednesday night <laughs> at High Bee. It was pandemonium. Stuffing flying off the shelves, turkeys sliding down the aisle. I'll be honest, I did it on purpose. I'm a high enough extrovert that sometimes I just get lonely in the house, and so I go back out to see people. And it had been kind of a quiet day at the office, and so I, I went and hung out at Hy-Vee and saw at least a couple of you. But, but the reason it matters is because when I was going to check out, and I didn't have that much stuff, it wasn't like just the basket, but like the little cart, right? I, I went, and as my custom, I got in the longest line. And this very much annoyed the woman who was directing traffic. No, 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 Father, you gotta come over here. You gotta come over here. And so I shifted because she asked me to, but then something moved in that line, and so that and I went back to the first one, and she got mad, and she's really kind of coming at me. And so the manager walks over and he says, No, 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 leave the father alone. He likes to wait. It is true. I've grown to like waiting. Over the course of the last um, two, three years, I've made a kind of a spiritual practice of getting in the longest line. Unless I'm in a screaming hurry or there's something real bad going wrong, I go to the store, whether it's Hy-Vee or Walmart or Target or Menards, whatever it is, and I, I always get in the longest line, not the shortest. I'm aware that is not the way the lines are designed. I understand why it annoys the assistant manager. But the reason that I do it is because it forces me to wait just a couple minutes longer than I would be inclined to do on my own. Like most of you, I'm pretty go, 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 go. And there's another thing after this thing that I gotta get to in order to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so I value efficiency. You would think that those self-checkouts are like the best thing to ever happen to someone like me. I refuse to use them, more or less, because I need, it took me a while to get this, before I thought it would just be good if I did, but now I recognize I need the extra time. I have to grow accustomed to waiting. See, waiting is a uniquely human thing. Dogs don't wait in line. They fight each other over the food, right? Cats don't line up together neatly and in an orderly fashion in order to jump off the couch, right? Humans are the creatures who wait, and the reason we wait is because we know we have a need, and that guy can fill it. And we're willing to wait for whatever it is the person on the other hand has. Now, sometimes we wait in neatly ordered lines or queues, like at the grocery store, and sometimes it's something more like a mosh pit. Come to communion at the Spanish Mass if you don't believe me. But the reason it's important is because it forces us to recognize our dependency. We actually do rely on other people all the time, even probably especially when we don't want to admit it. We're forced to wait on other people, and even more profoundly on God, for the events of our life to unfold. Now, 
that's happening all the time, whether we recognize it or not. But it's good for us periodically to take moments on purpose to recognize that for ourselves, like getting in the longest line at the store or Advent. Every year, the church offers us this month, and this year it really is a solid month, a solid month just to wait. Chill out. Calm down. You don't need to be going anyplace. You don't need to be doing anything. You just need to be waiting. Now, the temptation when we're waiting, because we're not interested in the wait, we're waiting in the thing, we're interested in the thing we're waiting for, is to distract ourselves. That's why they've got the magazines at the, at the counter at the grocery store, right? Or why most of us spend our time on our phones looking up to see when the next person's done. But you know what happens when you don't do that? I saw it that Wednesday night. A, there were two single people in line in front of me in that, in that aisle, and the gal who was in front dropped the box of stuffing that she was going to be making the next day, and the guy behind her reached down to help her pick it up, and they got in a conversation about stuffing, and by the time it was done, they'd gone home with each other's numbers, and I think I might have just watched a marriage start. <laughs> Which wouldn't have happened if they'd been scrolling on their phones, right? This is why waiting is so important, and why waiting with intention, with purpose, is so significant. Because things happen right in front of us that we're inclined to see past if we distract ourselves. The Lord, in the Gospel today, exhorts us to be vigilant, right? To stay awake. Any parent who's ever stayed up waiting for their kid on curfew knows exactly what this is like. I always knew when I was sunk because you'd get in the door, the house would be dark, you'd think you were being quiet, and mom had a rocker in the living room, which is the room the front door opened into, and she'd be smoking, and you knew you were sunk when you could see the burning ember of her cigarette. I still get nervous when I see burning embers of cigarettes, even on the street. Any parent that's ever had to wait up for, for, for a kid from curfew, any parent who's ever stayed up with a sick kid, this is not the same thing. I'm not trying to make it the same thing. Reggie ate a steak a couple months ago, and I had to stay up all night with a sick dog. But anybody who's ever waited on somebody like that knows what this is like, right? You're tempted to fall into a kind of, like, half-sleep, but you can't afford to. And you know you can't afford to because you might miss what's coming. In that case, it wasn't very pleasant. In other places, it might be. But the Lord's exhortation to expectancy is significant because what he makes clear is what's coming really is coming. It's not a joke. It's not a suggestion. It's not a pious optimism. Something really is coming. Listen again. As it was in the days of Noah. The microphone's not liking me. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage, up until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and carried them all away. They weren't paying attention. They lulled themselves into sleepiness. 
by drinking and carousing. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be out in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women grinding at the mill, one taken, one left. Now this, unfortunately, hits our imaginations differently than it would have the originals. Um, the uh, the, the um, Protestants, that's not totally fair. The, the evangelicals invented this thing called the rapture. Nobody believed this for 1950 years. Here's a good sign something's not an authentic part of the faith. If nobody believed it ever and then somebody just started believing it, it's made up. It's the kind of thing you do when you're bored and don't have sacraments. So, so that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a constant awareness. The people in the time of Noah did not just disappear. And that's the analogy he's drawing here. They didn't just poof into the air. They drowned in a flood. So the guy in the field and the gal at the mill, they're not just vanishing into thin air. They're dying. Now, whether they're dying from the field or the mill is not important. What is important is some of you will be taken and others left behind. And every one of us who's ever lost someone knows exactly what that's like. Were you ready? Were you waiting? Do you remember those last days by a loved one's bedside? Waiting, praying, hoping, maybe alternately for a miracle and also for a healing, and then they're gone, right? That's the way we're supposed to be all the time. That's Advent. That kind of waiting. Not simply the passiveness of being in a line because we can't help it. The intentionality of waiting on a person because we love them and because we know they're worth it. Advent comes to us every year. And we know to expect it because Christmas is coming. We know the cycle. Thanksgiving, sale, Advent. That's how this works. And then eventually Christmas. You know what time it is. And you know the kind of things you ought to be doing. You know this is a period not only to buy more, but to pray more. You know this is a time not only to spend, but to give you know this is a time to examine yourself and get yourself ready. We don't do the communal penances here anymore since we have confessions every day, but they're all around town. I don't care where you go, whether it's here or someplace else. There's no good reason every person in this church doesn't go to confession between now and Christmas. There's just not. If you think there is, come talk to me. I'll show you why not. Every one of you got something needs cleaned up. Don't believe me, believe him. Every one of you got something needs cleaned up, including me. But don't do nothing. Don't try and skip into the self-checkout. It won't work. You try and jump from now to Christmas, Christmas will be terrible, and you'll have missed a whole month. Don't try and pass by any of the difficulties involved in waiting. Don't try and avoid the confessional or the tree, or the giving of whatever sort. Don't try and skip out on extra prayer. Or when he comes, you're not going to be that interested in him. If you're not that interested in him, 
We'll see how interested he is in you. Instead, wait the way you have to, but on purpose. Get in the longest line. Pay attention to what's happening right in front of you. You might miss the miracle of new love, of new birth, of Christ. Come again. You know what time it is. What you going to do about it?